A group of eight recreational divers entered a sinkhole in the ground, but only four would return, their lives forever changed. Out of the divers that surfaced, one would experience the pain of losing four family members. This disaster was so tragic, it changed cave diving forever. This is the story of the Mount Gambier cave diving disaster. I'm Tatiana, and this is Occurrence. On May 28, 1973, a group of nine divers planned a two-day dive at Mount Gambier at the Shaft Sinkhole in South Australia. Within this group were some experienced open-water divers. Christine, Stephen, and Glenn were siblings and were all experienced divers. They had all achieved the highest qualification available for diving at the time, and they were all diving instructors. And Christine was the New South Wales title holder. Her father said at the age of 19, she had already been scuba diving for about 15 years. They were all raised by their father, who was also an experienced diver, and raised them to love diving too. A cousin to the siblings, named John, was on this trip too, and he had about four years of experience himself. So this family in general was very experienced in open water diving, but the allure of the shaft sinkhole was the hole in the ceiling that was an entrance to the clear water below. The grassy hole is three feet wide and divers had to be lowered in with a rope to the lake about 20 feet below. It opens to a huge cave about the size of a football field. It's like 360 feet by 164 feet. When it's sunny, a bright beam of light shines down and hits a rock pile in the lake. The light is used for guidance so divers know where they are. As divers get disoriented when cave diving since it's dark and they can only use the lights they have on them. This would be attractive to open water divers that are used to clear bright water. Being able to see the light on sunny and even cloudy days is extremely helpful with orientation and just generally being able to know where the entrance is. As long as you're in the main cave and not one of the tunnels that branch off from either side, you'll understand why soon. The first day's dive was successful. They extended a shot line 150 feet into the water to the rock pile and quickly explored the area around the rock pile before ending the dive. Their shot line was already in place, so the plan was for them to come back the following morning and do more or less of the same thing. Robert, who was the president of the dive club for the group, had dived at the sinkhole a number of times before and had created most of the dive plan. There wasn't a specific system or boundaries laid out, but he just generally expected everyone would stay in the main chamber to stay within the max depth range of 200 feet and explore. After all, they only had the main shot line from the surface to the rock pile. There were no other guidelines laid out. He never imagined what would happen the next day. When they returned to the cave they were exploring, at first things were going according to plan. Only eight of the divers actually went into the cave that day. Jones stayed on the surface and prepared food and helped the group in other ways. But at the perimeter of the rock pile, Robert began to feel strange. He was feeling lightheaded and his depth gauge told him he was 180 feet deep. Since he was an experienced diver familiar with the symptoms of nitrogen narcosis, he realized what was happening. It's 1973 and scuba divers at this time are using regular air cylinders filled with only oxygen and nitrogen. This type of air supply limits the max depth a diver can reach before narcosis sets in. Mixed gases that would have allowed deeper diving aren't available for recreational divers yet, and technical diving science wasn't established. 
So Robert signaled to his group that he was returning to the top of the rock pile, and everyone else signaled they were going to continue exploring. Now, nitrogen narcosis can happen after reaching 130 feet using normal air. The deeper you go, without proper equipment and procedures, the more nitrogen is introduced to the bloodstream. The effect it has on the person is similar to extreme intoxication. It impairs judgment and motor function. At 185 feet, the air starts to become toxic which could lead to seizures and all kinds of things that would lead to death. Now Robert did what he said and he continued circling the rock pile for about 8 minutes while searching for animal bones. During this time, Glenn continued exploring around the rock pile. And Glenn had been paying attention to the amount of air he had left and knew that he was running out of time to be in the water. So he attempted to tap his sister, Christine, on the arm to remind her time was almost up. She was following behind a few others in the group that were breaking away to swim down one of the tunnels that branched off from the main cave. Before he could reach her, she quickly went over the ledge that led out of the main room. Glenn figured they just wanted to look around a bit more, but would return and come back soon. At this point, Robert was headed to the surface and could see the light of Glenn returning from the direction the others had gone. Robert and Glenn surfaced pretty much together and found that Larry had already returned from his dive. And less than a minute later, Peter surfaced with almost no air in his tank. The group quickly realized that those still in the water would also have very low air supply and limited visibility due to the clouds blocking the sun in the sky. Peter had briefly struggled to find the entrance due to silt being kicked up by divers in the tunnel and the low light coming from the entrance. What they didn't know at the time was how chaotic things got right when they all turned back. So Gwen quickly put on a spare tank and got back in the water. He went to a depth of 225 feet, where the cliff began to drop off. And at the edge, he found Stephen's light and camera. The visibility at this point was practically non-existent due to the huge amount of silt that had been disturbed. Now this is a dangerous environment for divers to be in. It's way too deep and there's no visibility. And Glenn quickly realized this, so he had no choice but to decompress and return to the surface. By the time he surfaced, an ambulance had arrived. So Peter decided to check out the cavern for one more look. This was the last chance. If the divers from their group were going to have any chance at survival, they had to be found now. He was hoping to find anyone in their group to save, but unfortunately, he didn't find anyone. And at that point, everyone knew they were no longer looking for survivors, They were looking for bodies. So what happened that kept half of the group from surfacing? There was a little hope there was some way someone survived using an air pocket or something else. So what happened? When Christine, two of her brothers, and her cousin reached the ledge that Glenn lost her at, they paused. Christine was starting to feel the first signs of nitrogen narcosis and knew she was limited on time. But she had been diving for 15 years at this point. She knew how to combat the effects by staying focused on what she was doing and keeping controlled breaths. But she had never been at this depth before. She was heading towards being 250 feet deep, but had to travel 300 feet through the narrow tunnel to get there. She wanted to see how deep she could go and make a new record, but she had less than five minutes of air and didn't know it. At some point, she realized she wouldn't be able to make it to the end of the tunnel and back, so she turned around. But this was not as simple as it sounded. There were no guidelines laid, and with four divers entering that narrow tunnel, the amount of silt they kicked up meant there was zero visibility. She couldn't tell up from down or left from right. 
And when she reached out her hand and felt rocks, she couldn't distinguish a rock from a dead end. Christine knew her time was running out, and it would be a long shot to make it back to the surface with such little visibility. So in a desperate act, she shot up towards the ceiling to try to get clear of the silt, and Gordon did the same thing. Their flashlights were sweeping all over the place, in every direction, trying to find the way out, trying to orient themselves. The ceiling is rough with rocks jutting out and it's uneven. It feels just like the jutting rocks all around the tunnel. There wasn't some smooth surface for them to guide themselves along using their hands. Christina and Gordon were in a fall stone in the tunnel. They could only see their bubbles collecting on the surface and nothing else around them with the silt being so encompassing. The bubbles created an effect on the ceiling that made them believe they were looking at the ceiling of the actual main cave, trying to get to the entrance. The frantic nature of their actions made everything worse and depleted all their remaining air at a ridiculous speed. They became hypoxic and sunk to the floor of the tunnel. While that was happening, John was swimming further down into the tunnel at a rapid pace. It's believed the nitrogen narcosis caused him to think he was heading back towards the entrance, even though he was swimming deeper. Now, Stephen was between where John was and where Christina and Gordon were. So when he went to turn around, the silt was too thick for him to figure out where he was at. When he was found, his buoyancy vest was inflated, which means at some point he was thinking clearly enough to try a last-ditch attempt to get his body to the surface. It may have worked, but he was caught on the protruding rocks. It would take 11 months to retrieve the bodies because the day after the accident, the police underwater recovery squad was underprepared to dive in those conditions. So much so that it was described as a, quote, learn-as-you-go exercise, end quote. The following day's attempt was the same, and so they decided to postpone until they could receive naval training, which would take several months. In the meantime, the landowners of the property wanted the bodies out, and eventually the police was sent in to recover Stephen, who was closer to the surface, in January of 1974 to get Christine, Gordon, and John. Due to how dangerous the depth and silt conditions made the retrieval, the team tried multiple times for several days in a row, to get Christina and Gordon that march. They were able to recover them, but the nitrogen narcosis the recovery team experienced required a one-month break for them to recover. In April, after great effort, improved equipment, and a lot of planning, John's remains were recovered. Now, this disaster and recovery obviously highlighted that changes needed to be made, and they were. New regulations enforcing the education of divers wanting to go cave diving was created. They had to understand the difference between open water diving and cave diving. It also included a new training and three-level certification system that would place divers appropriately. This tragedy paved the way for better safety regulations. But what do you think about the Mount Gambier cave diving disaster? Leave your thoughts in the comments and follow for more stories like this. All sources can be found at occurrencepod.com. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.